0: If you would, brothers and sisters, please open to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look this morning at chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. You'll find it in the Pew Bible on page 856. If you would, please stand. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. Mary said, about three months and returned to her home the word of the lord thanks Thanks be be to god gracious god we pray that you'd be pleased to send your holy spirit upon us this morning that you'd please open our ears and our hearts and give us grace father that we might hear your word believe it obey it and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake amen. amen please be seated Do please keep the Bible open in front of you, Uh, Luke chapter 1, page 856 in the Pew Bible if you've got that handy. Um, We're wrapping up uh, a series called Songs of Hope, and uh, as we just learned from the Advent wreath, candle, lighting, uh, hope is central to our thoughts during Advent. It really is a season, as Daniel rightly said, which looks beyond the miracle of Christmas to the miracle of Christ's coming again in glory. Uh, It's certainly to prepare for Christmas. It is that. But every Christmas is just a reminder that just as Jesus came once in the manger in Bethlehem, so he will one day come again in great glory. And he will bring uh, the perfect manifestation of his kingdom and we really do want to look forward to that with understanding. And I think understanding really is key. I think it was uh, very helpful that Daniel reminded us what we all know is true. We've got this kind of strange relationship to that great day when Christ comes again. Um, it's frightening to us, isn't it? It's, it's different. It's new. What will it mean? We, we get pretty wrapped up in what we experience here and now. And to think about what that great day will mean uh, can be very disconcerting. And I think the key to that is to think through what the Bible teaches us and to really take to heart the great hope that that day is meant to express. So we're going to be doing that a little bit this morning. Uh, The passage that we're looking at today is a very famous one, it's called the Magnificat in many circles. Uh, It's called that because the first two words, my soul magnifies the Lord, those first three words, my soul magnifies the Lord, magnificat is uh, the uh, Latin form of the word magnifies, where we get the word magnify. And actually, the Gospel of Luke contains four very famous songs they're called, one is the Magnificat, also known as the Song of Mary, that's beginning in verse 46. Also the Benedictus, the Song of Zechariah, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Uh, The Gloria in Excelsis in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, which uh, Gloria in Excelsis translates the Latin glory in the highest. And then the fourth song, the Nunc Dimittis, the Song of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, from Now You Dismiss, Nunc Dimittis, Now You Dismiss. These four great hymns, these songs of praise, songs of hope, which Luke records for us, have actually formed a significant part of of Christian liturgical expression. Those four hymns have been incorporated into Christian worship for millennia. Christians have taken these words and have sung them, both to learn about our hope, and to give voice to our hope. Uh, It's interesting, the the word that Mary uses is magnifies. The the, uh, Greek word is magna lune, uh, mega lune. It's the the magnification of something. Uh, It's taking something great and magnifying it. Uh, helping us to see it more clearly, and that's what Mary says she's doing. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's actually in this song, in her experience, that she takes what God is doing and magnifies it, makes it clearer uh, to those who hear this song, to those who read this passage. It's meant to magnify what God has done. And and, uh, if I were to title this sermon today, the title I gave it was Rejoicing in Hope, Part 2, because she does rejoice in what she's magnifying. But if, if I actually had thought about it better during the week, I would title this sermon, Magnifying Hope. It is rejoicing in hope, but it's actually magnifying hope. And Advent is meant to be a time specifically where we magnify hope, where we, we reflect on hope, when we look at it, as with a magnifying glass, in her song, in her experience, but also in our own lives, in our own song magnifying what god has done so let's think about magnifying hope in fact i encourage you to think about magnifying hope this whole season as you gather around the christmas tree opening presents and celebrating the birth of christ i hope you will be intentional about magnifying the hope which is ours because of what christ did that first christmas and what he will be doing when he comes again So, uh, my first point, magnifying hope. And it's specifically in this first point, the hope of God's salvation. That's where Mary begins. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary magnifies the joy. She magnifies the hope. She magnifies the salvation which Christmas represents. Uh, Very often today, we don't get around to talking about salvation. Salvation at christmas time we we talk about the sentimental aspects of christmas we talk about all the wonderful aspects of family life sometimes that we see at christmas time gathering all the warm feelings that we have sometimes when we when we gather with family and friends we we focus on the sentimentality that we remember from our own childhood i know that's very much in my mind, when, when our family gathers, I'm thinking about when my kids were little or, or when my grandkids come running around, I, I, I just delight so much in seeing their faces and the happiness that Christmas brings uh, to our culture, to our families. It's a beautiful thing, and we can get very much focused exclusively on that part of Christmas. Uh, last night, Leslie and I babysat for our grandkids, and when we walked into the um, room where they were when we arrived at Grace and Brian's house, they were watching one of my favorite animated Christmas specials. They were watching the one about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, you know, you won't find Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the Bible anywhere, but it's a beautiful part of my memories of Christmas. I remember watching that same Christmas special a long time ago when I was about their age. And I remember my kids watching that special and so all that sentimentality gets wrapped up in christmas i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's a a gift to us I'm, i'm grateful for that but if we stop there we're missing something aren't we we're missing something because as mary explains as she begins this song of magnifying what god is doing she actually begins with salvation And she does it in a very personal way. She talks about God, my Savior. I commented a few weeks ago that it's too bad some of our Christian friends, especially in the Catholic tradition, have taken the Mary of the Bible and turned her into something she's not in the Bible. Uh, They talk about the sinlessness of Mary. Well, Mary, as she sings about what Christmas means to her, as she's living it out right then, It included and actually began with the realization, A, that she needed a Savior. If you're sinless, you don't need a Savior. Mary needed a Savior. And she was filled with praise and rejoicing that God was her Savior. In this extraordinarily intimate, deeply personal way, this baby, as the angel had announced, came to save. That's what his name means. The Lord saves Jesus. The Lord saves And so when she expresses what Christmas meant to her, and when she's singing this song, which has been sung by Christians for millennia, it begins with this idea, this understanding that God is our Savior in this baby. This baby who was born in Bethlehem came as Savior. And when that baby grew up, he died in order to save. And when he comes again in glory at the end of time, at that great last day, which we look at with dread sometimes, what he will be doing for those who know and love him is saving. He's saving. That is meant to bring us hope. The great last day for those who know and love Jesus, that great last day, as Mary says, is about God saving. So it's deeply personal for Mary. My soul magnifies my, the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That word servant literally means slave. Mary understood herself as a faithful person of the Jewish covenant. As one who was in a relationship. A bond servant relationship. Sometimes it's translated handmaiden. Uh, she was a servant to the Lord. She understood that. And he had looked on her And shown mercy. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. It's deeply personal. You know, when we gather for Christmas, this is an opportunity for us with Mary to give deeply personal thanks for what that Christmas, first Christmas, means and meant and still means. It means hope of salvation. It means hope of forgiveness. It means hope of mercy. A confidence that we have not based on anything we do, but a confidence grounded in what God has done in Christ. I mean, as as that sinks sinks in, as, as as we actually reflect on that, well, it will shape the way we view Christmas. It's not about reindeer and snowmen. Santa and elves. It's about a faithful God who saves. He has saved and He will save. The hope of God's salvation. Mary magnifies in her soul, in in her song, written down ages ago for us to read and hear and see through her life as it's recorded here. And then down through the centuries as we reflect on this sinner who knew salvation. Through the baby she was bearing. It's a a miracle. It's an extraordinary miracle. But it doesn't stop with Mary, does it? As we read further along in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary saw herself... Not in the sense that she was the only one who experiences God's mercy. She's not the only one who experiences His salvation. She actually understood herself and sings about with joy the amazing gospel promise that for all those who fear the Lord, for all those who look to Him with reverence and hope, from generation to generation, He still makes His mercy known. You know, Christmas is an evangelistic opportunity. Christmas is a mission opportunity. This is a time when we focus not merely on sentiment, but on gospel joy, gospel hope, gospel promise. Wouldn't it transform Christmas if we came to understand more and more that what we're celebrating here is not only about me, it's about the world. It's about a promise of hope to a desperately needy world. A world which Sometimes doesn't want to hear the word of hope. A a, a world which in its darkness rejects hope. We live in a world that rejects hope. We live in a world that denies salvation. But Christians are to be people who with Mary sing with joy about what God has done for us in Jesus. I want that song in my heart on Christmas morning. I want my kids and my grandkids and your kids, and your grandkids, all of us to grow in praise for the salvation which Jesus has brought to us at the cost of his own life. Magnifying the hope of God's salvation. I'm hoping that our little witness to Jesus here at MetroCrest at Christmas Eve one of the reasons we encourage you to bring friends to your christmas to our christmas eve service is we want to magnify what god has done in us for us through us sometimes very often in spite of us he's at work saving and we we praise him for it we magnify it to the world so magnifying the hope of god's salvation secondly Mary sings with joy about magnifying the hope of God's mighty work. God's mighty work. He. uh Talks, she talks about it in verses 51 to 55 as she sings with joy. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So it's a remarkable turnaround. It's, it's a remarkable turning upside down really. It, it's Christmas teaches us that God in Christ has turned the world upside down. It's not a new promise, by the way. The prophets talked about this centuries before Mary sang her song. Millennia before you and I gathered to think about it today. God had already been promising that he would turn the world upside down. You know, the way the world looks at things, there there are people that God blesses. And he gives them good things, and they must be good people. And we like to surround ourselves with good people. And there's this impulse in our hearts, a sinful impulse to only gather with, to only care about those who are like ourselves. But actually, from the beginning, God has said he cares about those who nobody else cares about. He cares about the poor. He cares about the marginalized. He cares about the hungry. He cares about the humble. Not because they're more important to him, but because they're so unimportant to us. They're so unimportant to us. I mean, in 21st century America, it's it's really easy to insulate ourselves insulate ourselves from those who are neediest among us. We live in gated communities so often, and we have gated mindsets. We drive around in our isolated cars. We go into buildings with security. Uh, We we isolate ourselves from the reality of the world that many people live. And, of course, in the United States, we're we're separated by oceans from another experience lived experience of human life so different to ours so different to ours it's one of the reasons international mission is so important so important because it matters to god to to take the gospel of life to the whole world to those who the world doesn't care about i mean christmas is one of those times of the year when we're especially mindful of those we don't necessarily think about very much we did this little uh uh, angel tree out in the lobby and how many how many gifts did we take 40 40. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to think of our little church sending christmas presents to 40 kids who otherwise wouldn't have had christmas this year not because they're awful people they're no worse sinners than we are but the world doesn't care very much about them It's a wonderful thing for us to be able to share what God has given to us, to share that with other people. What a wonderful thing to do at Christmas time. Of course, it's not something you only do at Christmas time. It's actually meant to be an attitude that Christmas teaches us and reminds us of so that we do it all year long, so that we do it every day. Advent is not the only time of the year we think about the hope of Christ's return, but it's meant to be an annual opportunity to think about it in a very focused way so that we think about it every day. And we live every moment of our lives consciously hoping for the promised return of Christ as we grow in understanding what that means. And one thing it will mean, and Mary sings about it, is God's going to make everything right. Read the book of Revelation. You know, people get terrified about the book of Revelation, which is too bad. It's not meant to terrify us. It's meant to teach us and to help us understand that there is coming one day a new creation where God is going to make everything right, where He Himself will wipe away every tear. That's the the great day when Christ will come again. He He will bring hope forever as he fulfills all the promises that God has made. And the Song of Mary, the Magnificat, reminds us that we want to live that hope. We want to magnify that hope right now. The church is actually called to be this community which shares God's love with the world, including the marginalized, including the humble, including those the world doesn't care about. We're to care for them. One of my uh, favorite books in seminary was called The Christians as the Romans Saw Them. Uh, It was written by a Christian historian, uh, Robert Louis Wilkin. And he just analyzed the historical records from the time of Mary's life and the generation or two after that, the first couple of hundred years of Christianity. And you know what the, the Romans noticed about the Christians? It was so different from their own culture. The Romans noticed that Christians seemed to care about people the world didn't care about. So there was a terrible plague that hit the Roman world. And the impulse among Romans was, if you had the money, you got as far away from Rome and from the plague as you could. You went as far away from it as you possibly could. That was the impulse among the Romans. But what did the Christians do? The first Christians, what did they do? Well, they actually drew near to the humble. (laughs) They actually invented the idea guided by the Holy Spirit with the perfect model of Jesus. They actually went to the humble. They went to the hungry. They went to the needy, the broken. The, the, The modern idea of a hospital, which we take for granted, That was a Christian idea that flowed from passages like this one. The desire to magnify the hope of God's mighty work. Doing what Jesus did, magnifying that, proclaiming to the world that there's a God who cares. A sovereign God who cares. And the first Christians did that at the risk of their own lives. Many Christians died seeking to care for those who others wouldn't care for. And of course, it's not all ancient history. You you can still see today, uh, most of the hospitals that we see around us, not only in this country, but around the world, those hospitals have Christian roots. It's sad that so often those Christian roots have become obscured, but the roots are there nevertheless, and there's still opportunities for us to magnify the hope we have in this promise of a new creation. We're we're part of that, proclaiming that, magnifying that to the world. And that's part of what Christmas is about. And more importantly, that's what Advent is teaching us to hope for. We hope for that great day when God will make everything right. And in the meantime, we're with Jesus as His hands and feet, the loving presence of the Savior Himself as we minister to those in need. We minister to everybody, but we care even for those the world doesn't care about. Honestly, Christmas and Advent could be be the most missional time of the year. The most missional time for us to magnify what God is doing, what He has promised to do, and what He will do. In the perfect time. When he brings to completion everything. Well, my hope for myself and my family and for our family here at MetroCrest. Is that we will live these promises out. We will live this hope out in real time, in real life. That we will seek with Mary to magnify this, proclaim this to the world. Desperately needy. Desperately broken, desperate for the gospel, even though they don't know it so often. Well, next Christmas Eve, this Christmas Eve a few nights from now, we'll be gathered to reflect on the joy that we have in the birth of Jesus, the first fruit of that, of that coming into the world of these promises. And during the 12 days of Christmas, we'll be reflecting on, on the giving. Where the, the opportunity to give in uh, gratitude for what's been given to us. Uh, the basis of all Christian ministry is gratitude for what has been given already to us. We'll think about that together. But uh, as we finish up this Advent 2021, let's do it with praise and a deep desire to magnify to the world all that God has done for us in Christ.